Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We have a great show for you today, but first, I want to ask you for a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, that is. Also, take a second to rate and review our show in your podcast app, especially if you're a regular listener. That will help other people find us. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get started. For all the parents out there, we just want to say you are incredible. You have been steering a ship through uncharted waters for the last four months, working or perhaps dealing with losing your job, keeping house and taking care of your kids' health, safety, education, and emotions during the middle of a global pandemic. As far as we're concerned, making it through each day counts as a victory. But if you're like millions of others, all of that probably leaves you with little time to think about your own mental health and wellness. In one survey by the American Psychological Association, nearly half of parents with kids 18 and under said their average stress level was high these days, compared with 28% of the respondents without children. And though families can take a bit of a breather right now that it's summer break, chances that life will be normal once school starts again aren't looking great. What are parents supposed to do? How can they take care of themselves so they can keep taking care of their kids? We're talking about that today with Dr. Laura Markham, a clinical psychologist, author, and the founding editor of ahaparenting.com. Dr. Markham, welcome to Health Now. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to talk to you today. Um, We've been doing this parent in isolation, work while teaching thing for a while now. How would you describe the toll that this situation has taken on parents? Well, it's impossible for parents. I would say that it's like running a marathon that has no end and no end in sight. (laughs) In the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone online was talking about perfecting their sourdough recipe, I thought, this doesn't sound like anyone I know. No one with children is doing that. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's exactly how I felt. (laughs) And, you know, now it's parents have found their voice and are speaking up about this, but it's not like we have good answers. There are people losing their jobs because they are not able to do the demanding work of caring for their kids at the same time that they do their jobs, right? Right. So if you have a job that you're trying to hold down from home, in addition to the full-time job of caring for your children, something has to give. And even if you don't, even if you're just, quote unquote, just home with kids full-time, Whereas before, you know, you were home with kids and maybe they went to school part of the time. Now you're home with kids 24-7. They don't have any outlet. They're getting on each other's nerves. They're getting on your nerves. Everyone is going through a crash course on big emotions because basically we're all grieving the loss of our prior lives. We're all anxious about what the pandemic means. We're anxious about health, obviously. We're anxious about the health of those we love. We're anxious about money because things are pretty precarious economically. So there are so many big emotions going on and it's hard for parents to even get enough sleep. Also, I just want to say something. Our houses are messier. Everybody's in. (laughs) It's a mess all the time. It's chaos. And that also adds to everybody's anxiety and detracts from our sense of well-being. So whatever ways you had come up with over the years to make life work in your home, 
all of a sudden, those ways don't work anymore. The answers are things like get out of the house, take your kids to play with other kids, send them to school, all the things that are not so easy to do right now. That's true. And we're talking about parents broadly as a group, but I would imagine that things are, you know, situations are different depending on the age of your children. Well, I think every age group has its own developmental challenges. So for instance, toddlers don't necessarily mind not seeing their friends with whom they were only doing parallel play anyway, but toddlers are biologically designed to explore and discover, and that means they will tear your house apart if they have to stay inside. The, the best advice for parents of toddlers is get your kid out of the house. So, you know, it's hard to stay home in a pandemic with a toddler. On the other hand, teenagers are biologically programmed to bond with people their own age. So it's very hard for teenagers that they have to stay home with their parents when they're trying out, they're, they're supposed to be trying out their independence. They're supposed to be enjoying discovering who they are in the context of their peers. And so, yes, I think everything in between toddlers and teenagers, you know, will have different challenges. I think also different kinds of kids. Some kids are more outgoing and really miss their friends. Other kids are less outgoing, but maybe they're prone to video game addiction more than other kids, right? So every kid is going to have specific challenges during this time that are harder for them. Right. And right. even like different, you know, different kids, it, you know, within the same family could be very different from one another. Yes. Um, so if parents weren't feeling frustrated from the get-go, which I think probably a lot were, uh, they're surely feeling it now. We've been hearing a bit about a version of this lately, what people are calling mom rage. Um, although perhaps there's dad rage too. We don't want to forget about the dads. Um, what do parents do about this? How can we keep ourselves from getting to the boil, boiling point when there's really, like you were mentioning, sort of no end in sight? I think it starts with our ability to nurture ourselves, honestly. You, we're being asked, and it isn't just moms. You're totally right. It's dads too. Although there's a way in which in the families I'm speaking to, some of them are very egalitarian and the dad's equally on the front lines, but in many of them, that's not the case. And the mother is doing more of the frontline work with the kids. Right. But regardless of the family, let's just say any parent who's trying to cope with this pandemic is, it's very hard to remain emotionally generous with your child when you're running on empty. And what do children need from us? They need emotional generosity. They need us to understand that if they're having a hard time, if they're, let me back up, if they're giving us a hard time, it's because they're having a hard time. If the floor is strewn with toys, that's normal. They're children, right? They're acting like children because they are children. But we're stressed because we're home 24-7 and those toys are driving us crazy, right? So our job as parents is to help our children get through this. We need to make the environment work so the child can thrive. That might mean we put away some of those toys. It might mean we add a part of our routine to help kids clean up every day. There are any number of things we can do to make our lives work better. But we can't do that until we are back to a more centered place ourselves. It doesn't work to go in there like a tornado screaming at our kids and you know throwing things around. That just makes the child's anxiety level increase, which means more behavior is going to 
be worse, right? Like they're going to get nastier to their sister, not nicer, right? Right. So we, we want to be emotionally generous. How do you do that? You fill yourself up first. There are many, many ways we can do that, that we can have. There are practices you can use to calm yourself when you're upset, to help yourself stand and even keel day in and day out when things are difficult. And they're no longer a luxury. You know, you, you used to think, I know I should exercise. Well, now you have to exercise. Right. We used to think I should meditate. Now, if you don't meditate, you're running the risk that you're not going to be able to stay centered because the demands on you are such that you just need more internal resources to meet them. And you will get triggered. You said mom rage. Well, mom or dad rage is an overreaction. Like the toys are on the floor. It's a wreck. That's a mild annoyance. It's not a tragedy. It's not an emergency that should send you into fight, flight, or freeze. But so many of us, we're already on edge. And it does send us into a state of emergency where we lash out. So, right? We need the internal resources to not do that, to not get triggered by it. So the rage is an overreaction. Parenting is not an emergency, even when you're home in a pandemic and your children are driving each other crazy and you're at the end of your rope and you're tired. It's still not an emergency. No one's dying. What we need to do is stop, calm ourselves, regroup, and make sure we're doing the practices that keep us from getting so triggered and going into a rage. And there are ways to do that, which we could talk about. Right. And I I do want to go back to something you said just a minute ago. Um, self-care, we've often heard that it's so important. You know, that message was around even before all of this pandemic started. Um, But it can often feel like just one more thing you should be doing that you don't have time for. So Mm. how do parents sort of get beyond the feeling that it's unimportant or that it's just another chore on the to-do list? I guess you would have to see it as something that was of value to you, right? If you feel like, oh, I should exercise. When you say self-care, you know, there's, that can include a lot of things. It could Absolutely. include going to sleep early enough instead of, you know, surfing or binge watching or something. We would go to sleep early enough that we would wake up rested, which is good for your immune system as well as your patients, right? Or maybe it's building an hour of me time into your family routine so that the kids get their me time and you get your me time, you know, after lunch or whatever. Or maybe it's getting up half an hour earlier than your kids so you have time to have your coffee in peace and write in a journal or simply, or or stand in your garden if you're lucky enough to have one or stand by your window box or look out your window at a tree, something that's going to make you feel nurtured. So I think if it's, if it's just, I'm exhausted, I don't have time to take care of me, you're right. That's just adding something to the list. It has to be something that will make you feel better. But remember that exhaustion comes partly from a buildup of emotions that we haven't processed. So Mm -hmm. exhaustion is partly resistance to what's happening. It's like when we're angry or upset or we have these emotions, we can do something about that. If you laugh more in the course of your day, if you give yourself downtime every hour on the hour to just sit for five minutes and be with yourself and notice what's going on in your body, you will find that at the end of the day, you're less tired, right? So there are all kinds of ways that you can have more inner resource so that when you think, oh, I, I, 
I didn't exercise. Hmm. I wonder if I can do at least a little bit of something, maybe some yoga instead. I'm not going to go running for a run now because I don't have time, but I could do a little yoga, a little stretching, something. Instead of seeing it as one more thing on your list, it could be, I'm doing this for me. I'm claiming a richer life because it will. Notice the difference. Notice what happens after you do that. Even for a few minutes, you do feel better and you deserve to feel better. This isn't just so you're nicer to your kids, although you'll feel better about yourself if you're nicer to your kids. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's so you're, you feel better inside your own skin because you're the one who has to live there. And it doesn't have to be an elaborate production. Like we're not talking about going to a spa, certainly not right now, but it's just to your point, just a few minutes of, you know, it can be as simple as standing by yourself for five minutes and looking out the window, just little things here and there. I absolutely believe that it should be small things. Mm -hmm. I'm great if you have an hour, you can go for a run or whatever. That's great. Or do a whole hour of yoga or whatever. That's great. Or meditation, you know, but I don't know any parents who can spend an hour on meditation usually. And the good news is your brain will change with a shorter amount of meditation. If you put on a guided meditation for five minutes, but you do it every single day, it'll take longer for, to rewire your brain than if you did an hour, but it will happen. So even, I think just, here's the question. Every, write this down. When you're, if you're listening to this podcast, write this question down. Today, how can I center and replenish myself? And really, it should be that you have a list that you brainstorm a bunch of things. It can be a list, might have two lists. One is things you can do if your partner takes the kids for the afternoon, mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough to have that option. But the other list can be things you do with children there. Put on music and have a family dance party. That's good for everybody's well-being, not just physically, but emotionally, right? It lowers the stress hormones, increases the bonding hormones, especially if you're laughing with each other, right? So make two lists, put them up on your fridge. And every day when you wake up, say, how will I center and replenish myself? Oh, looking at that list, oh, I'm going to carve out 15 minutes to do. And, and maybe what makes you happy is writing in a journal, because that's actually very good for us emotionally. Or maybe it's reading the paper for 15 minutes. Maybe it's reading a novel for 15 minutes. It's probably not doing social media for 15 minutes, because that doesn't actually make you feel better after, but right. I will leave that up to you to decide by honestly looking at how you feel after you do it. That's true. Not exactly relaxing for me. That's absolutely true. I think we, we really need to talk about another feeling that's very overwhelming for parents right now, which is anxiety, um, especially as they see the start of the school year on the horizon, whether that means your kids will do virtual learning um, that you will have to lead, of course, or that you will send your kids to a classroom where they could face potential exposure to the coronavirus. What are some things that parents can do right now to prepare for this, both in terms of preparing their kids and also stealing themselves to handle it? Well, first of all, anxiety is fear. And yep. this pandemic has plunged us all into fear and anxiety, right? Of course. And so what a great opportunity. I know we're sick of hearing about the opportunities, but in fact, if you can be resilient during a pandemic, you can be resilient in the face of anything. And we, you know, uncertainty, if you can be resilient in the face of uncertainty. And when I say resilient, what I mean is 
You can notice that you're feeling anxious or worried about something and you can manage it so that you can be your best self, even though you have those feelings. How do you manage it? Well, I would say, first of all, notice. Notice what you're feeling and notice what your body is doing. You know, wow, I'm not breathing very deeply. My, my breathing is shallow, right? Or my heart is, seems to be pounding. Notice those signs of anxiety and just notice them. Breathe in, surround yourself with love. If you, there's actually research that shows that we can calm our nervous system to restore healthier heartbeat patterns and healthier biochemistry. You can reduce the stress hormones circulating in your body and increase the serotonin and GABA and oxytocin, the things that make you feel better. I urge you to think in terms of trust. I can trust that I'm going to be okay. Now, logically, does the brain, the mind think it can trust? No, we, I can't promise anybody that they're safe completely in this world, especially at this time, or that their child is safe. But when we feel more trust, we think better, we feel better, we make better decisions. And so it's always to our advantage. It doesn't mean you're not careful. It doesn't mean you're not um, thoughtful and, you know, using your discretion. You know, you, yes, you wear your mask when you go out into the world. But the experiencing trust helps all of us to feel better and to think better. And so this is something you can teach children as well when they go back to school and they're feeling anxious. Because trust is the opposite of anxiety. Certainly, especially when there's so much right now that's sort of outside of everyone's control. This is something that you can control and and you know do. It's there for you whenever you need it. Those are exactly. really good. Those are really good practices. Thank you for taking exactly. us through that. That's great. Shifting focus slightly. Um, at the beginning of quarantine, we saw a lot of people saying, "You know what? I'm going to let the rules about screen time, junk food." all the usual things that you might have rules about. I'm going to let all that slide right now because it's a weird situation. Mm -hmm. But in the last couple of months, while a lot of places aren't in lockdown anymore, it's still an odd time. Um, what is your advice about reimagining discipline or family rules right now? Do you think that sort of taking a little bit of a relaxed attitude still applies? So I think screen time is different than discipline in general, right? So I think to the degree that children's lives have been interrupted and they're unable to do the things they used to do in their lives and they have more time to fill and parents are often unable to be there with the child filling that time because parents are so often just trying to hold on to their jobs. Um, to, to the degree that it's so unusual I think it is completely fine to let kids have more screen time than you would normally have. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we need to guilt trip ourselves. I would say start with a reasonable goal and remember that you can have high quality screen time. There are That's three true. kinds of screen time. The three kinds of screen time are one, just, you know, what we think of as screen time, which is just, you know, watching a show, right? Mm -hmm. There's another kind of screen time, which is learning and research right? Maybe your child is learning Italian on screen or learning to cook or doing research on stars and then taking those 
sticky um, fluorescent stars you got her and putting them up in her room in constellation patterns. That's all really valuable research that she's doing on screen, right? Sure. Or Right, so that's the second one, um, and then the third kind. Actually, there are fourth kinds. Um, the the fourth, the third kind is connecting with other kids, and that's social, and that's important. If he's connecting, you might let him have more time playing the video game that he's playing. If he's playing Minecraft with his friends, it's a it's a social thing that's happening as well, right. and you might let him do more of that when he can't actually see his friends to go skateboarding, right? Right. There's not a lot of social options available right now. Right. Um, and so that was, that was um, uh, learning and research and social. But then there's a, a fourth one, which is creating. Maybe she's on TikTok creating videos. Um, you know, that's also a creative thing. So there are ways, those, those three things, social and learning and research, and then um, making uh media, making media essentially, are all, I think, good uses of your child's time. So I would limit for sure the time that they're just watching, you know, whatever over and over again. Sure. You know, or playing. Yeah. 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 Passive, passive intake. But, and I would do a written daily schedule that the screen time comes after the time that they help with the housework activities or the time that, you know, if they're, if they're doing um, summer reading. Uh, if you're, if the kid, you know, it's summertime, the kids are not necessarily doing school, but, and, and if you can, they all kids need outdoor time every day. So to take them outside in some way, if you don't have a yard to take them to the park, whatever you need to do and to play tag with them. Mm -hmm. um, and also kids need free play, independent play where they are not on a screen. Kids do need that. So if it's a, a toddler they are playing maybe with some play-doh um you know or clay and if it's a four-year-old maybe they're building with the legos um you know older kids maybe they're making music with their guitar they're picking out a song on the guitar um you know maybe your eight-year-old is using some boxes and you know putting them together with masking tape to create a robot right there's all kinds of things kids can do without screens and should do <laughs> they should have a certain amount of time without screens so i think we all could just think creatively about how you structure the day and make sure that they get some of that stuff, outdoor time, reading time, creative independent play time, uh, you know, board game time with their sibling or with you before they get screen time. But, you know, it's completely fine for them to watch a show at, you know, when everybody is out of sorts and tired at five o'clock and you're right. trying to get dinner together, why should they not watch a show at that point, even if it's something you wouldn't have let them do before or maybe not for quite so long before? Fine. You know, give yourself a break. Right. Um, that's None of that is discipline. We could also talk about discipline, but I think it's important for us to realize it's not an all or nothing question when you think about screens. Right. What about other rules like around bedtime and, you know, maybe all the routines that you would have had before that you know, maybe there's not much of a point to them, or it feels like maybe there's not much of a point to them right now. Right. Well, if you're not having to get your kids out of the house in the morning for school, you know, then, you know, bedtime suddenly seems to make less sense, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it is, every family is going to make its own decision about this. Um, I do think that the school day will start in the fall, even if it's virtual. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you know, you don't want to get too far. You don't really want your kid to get used to going to bed at 
two in the morning and getting up at noon every day, particularly. Uh, so I think um, you also don't want your kids unsupervised in the night after you go to bed, right? So right. you do need, and you know, you probably want a little downtime. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to um, continue to have kids go have a bedtime. I think you don't want to have no bedtime, right? I, I mean, that's just what I would say, depending on the age of your children. Right. So there are some things we're going to decide that you want to keep. And I think I would even add structure in some ways because it turns out the families who are doing better during this pandemic are families who have more routine, who have more structure. There's so much uncertainty. Children don't like uncertainty. It makes them more anxious. That makes them more difficult and demanding and defiant and whiny. We don't need our kids to be anxious. So you do need some structure. So I wouldn't just say, okay, no, you know, everything, all bets are off. I would say what structure works for us now? Now, maybe it works for you to let your kids go to bed later because they don't have to get up as early. That's fine. But maybe you also want to say, hey, now that we're home all the time and, you know, there's, we're making every single meal at home and there's more dishes and we have more time together as a family, let's have some different routines. Let's everybody work together. In maybe you have, if you have two parents there, you can maybe have teams like mom and one kid and dad and another kid and you switch off which kids with which parent and you work in teams that, you know, on Mondays and Wednesdays, it's my turn to make, with a kid to make the dinner and to clean it up and yours, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever. Maybe the kids work together to make dinner one of the nights. My point is the kids benefit from helping with housework and too often we don't have them do that because, well, frankly, it's more trouble than it's worth, you know? That's true. You got to give them direction and if maybe it doesn't get done exactly like you would have done it. Exactly. It takes extra time, but it's a great skill for them to learn how to do some minor cooking for themselves, no matter what age they are, to gain some sense of confidence in the kitchen. And you know what? All kids can help clear the table, help load the dishwasher, you know, help with the cleanup, learn how to put food away after a meal, whatever. And it's an important thing for kids to learn. So I think that there's no should here. There's what would work best to help your family life run smoothly during this difficult time? Well, I would say it's a great opportunity when kids do have more downtime, quote unquote, to have them help a little more with laundry or with dishes or whatever, not in a mean way, with a sense of humor, but just we all pitch in because we're a family. And I think that's the opportunity that we have right now during this pandemic. What kind of a family do you want to be? Do you want to be a family where everybody pitches in? Do you want to be a family where, you know, at least one night a week, we have family movie night. At least one night a week, we have family game night. That's two different nights, let's say. But, you know, that's what we do. Right. And if you want to have a quarantini with your buddies while the kids are watching a show together, you know, at, from 5.30 to 6.30, fine. But then you have a family dinner. That You know, when kids look back at this pandemic, here's what they're going to remember. There were hard things. I didn't get to go to school and see my friends. But, you know, I went on a walk with my parents every evening. When we did the dishes together, my parents talk to me and they listen to me. We had fun games. We would just chase each other around the house and laugh or have games of trying to take each other's socks off. There was so much laughter in our house. There was so much connection. I miss it now, the child might say later. Right. That's true. It is a unique, I've heard a lot of parents say that, how it's you know such a unique opportunity to sort of 
get rid of the routines that they aren't sorry to see go and then find, mm -hmm. you know, new ways to spend time that they really didn't necessarily have available to them anymore. That's a really good point. What are some helpful things that you know, parents can remember when their kids uh, start acting out? During a time like this, when children's usual way of being in the world is not happening and they have extra frustration and their, you know, siblings are on their nerves and they're not getting to see their friends and where their parents might be a little less patient than usual, a little more stressed than usual. Kids are going to act out more. We know that. And what does acting out mean? Acting out means they're acting out a feeling that they can't put into words. Because if they could put it into words, they would say, mom, dad, things feel really bad right now. You know, you're so stressed lately. You're always snapping at us and telling us to leave you alone while you do your Zoom call with your boss or whatever. And you're always working and telling us to just go play. And you know, I, I know I'm allowed to watch more screen time, but, but it's boring after a while. And, and I'm, I feel like I'm going stir crazy and I'm a little anxious. And I know you said grandma's fine, but I worry that grandma might not be okay. I heard people are dying. Your child has all kinds of anxieties they can't articulate. Right. And so those feelings drive behavior. That's what, I mean, what drives our behavior, our needs and our feelings. We act in a way that we hope will make us feel better from the needs we have that are driving us or the feelings that are driving us. And sometimes your child has legitimate needs or feelings that they can't articulate that cause them to behave in bad ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think we as the parent need to remember this. And instead of cracking, I mean, we absolutely need to set limits. No, they cannot take their bad mood out on their sibling and, you know, harass their sibling and tease their sibling. No, they can't, you know, um, uh, be rude to you. No, they can't get away without doing their chores or just, you know, play Minecraft all day. Mm -hmm. But they, but we can set limits with a, with a, with good humor and with understanding. You're having a hard day, aren't you? You're, it seems like you're giving your sister a hard time. I think maybe this day is not working out the way you wanted. No, mom, it isn't because it's all your fault because you wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do and play a video game. And you're so mean. You're not like the other parents who let the kids do everything, you know. And you listen and you say, wow, your life really isn't working the way you want right now. I hear you. I'm so sorry, sweetie. No, that's our rule. You've had your screen time for today. But you know what? Let's see if we can make this a better day. And your child doesn't need everything they want. But if you do this, if you understand, your child gets something better. They get a parent who cares about how they feel, who accepts the full range of their emotions, who helps them work out those big emotions, and who helps them meet their needs in maybe not the way they wanted with more screen time, but in other constructive ways. And your child comes out of that with a closer relationship to you, with more resilience, and with less likelihood of bad behavior. So if we can approach things with more understanding, even while we're setting limits, I think that's the discipline that's called for during a time of high stress. And honestly, that's called for all the time. That's true. That makes me think about something you said earlier about parenting not being an emergency. If you respond like that, you're really, you know, you're not ratcheting up the, the pressure and, you know, in the situation and everybody can just sort of move on. It's not like a an emergency situation that you have to, you know, crack down on at that moment. That's such a good point. 
our job as the adult is always to de-escalate, to calm the drama, to calm the storm. You get, you, you know, when you have too much drama going on, everyone gets anxious and you, people lose their tempers. If you can calm that storm, you have much more opportunity for good feeling, for connection, for humor, for constructive ways to resolve differences. And there will always be differences when you have any more than one human being around. Right. Absolutely. We talk often about, you know, parents, two-parent households, but obviously there's so many single parents operating right now uh, with just one adult and, you know, one or more kids. Are there specific things that you think would help those folks right now that are different perhaps than if there are two parents at home? Yes. I would say that when you're, when you're single parenting, and maybe you're always single parenting is just a tough time, or maybe your partner is in quarantine because they're a medical person. I mean, who knows why you're single parenting, but let's say you're single parenting. I think you tend to put yourself last on the list so often that you drop off the list because you just think it's a luxury to, that you're, you, you can't afford, right? You've got to, from the time you get up in the morning till the time you're you drop into bed at night, you're on, you're on duty. And if once you get the kids to bed, you're doing the dishes and you're trying to get that load of laundry done or whatever, I would say you have to be on the list. It's not sustainable to drop yourself off the list. Mm -hmm. So you're, you can't be the parent that you want to be to your children. You can't be emotionally generous to your kids when you're always depleted. It's a marathon here, not a sprint. And so if that means that you and your kids together do the laundry the next day, if it means your kids are wearing clothes right out of the you know dryer um, that, that never got folded, that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. you know. If it means that you're having eggs, you're alternating eggs and peanut butter sandwiches every night for dinner, you know, with carrots out of the bag, mm-hmm. that's not a tragedy. It really isn't. What's a tragedy? is if you find yourself short-tempered with your children every day. You know, doing it, being short-tempered every so often, that's just part of life. But being short-tempered with your kids on a regular basis, that's a signal that you're focusing on the wrong thing because you're in an impossible situation and you need every inner resource that you can pull together. And the only way to have enough to give your kids is to fill yourself up first. That's something we can all remember right now, that's for sure. When there are two partners living together, how, you know, it seems like, you know, there's no time to necessarily think about yourself or taking care of your emotions, but then you also have to think about nurturing your relationship with your partner. Um, So how do you have any suggestions that parents could use to keep their relationship or their sex life even from sort of falling by the wayside with, in this time with so much additional stress? Yes. I would say, first of all, because we're so stressed right now, it's natural that you're going to get annoyed at your partner. It's just going to happen. You're cooped up together. You're both stressed out. You're worried about money. You're worried about health. So expect that you're going to have more stress on the relationship than usual. And therefore, you have to build in ways that you can take care of the relationship. Now, everything I've said about self-care does matter because emotional generosity for your kids, well, emotional generosity towards your partner, right? Right. If I am annoyed at my partner because of something he's done and I have more 
inner resource, I'm going to be able to, let's say, end of a long day, I come down from putting the kids to bed and the dishes are in the sink and my partner is over at his computer. I come downstairs from doing this or I come out of the kid's bedroom from doing this and I look at the sink still piled with dishes and the laundry is still in the dryer and <laughs> there's my partner on his computer. Now, I could just blow my stack at him and un, un, offload all my stress at him or I could take a deep breath and I could go over and I could do what I hope I would do with my child if my child, if I felt that same feeling toward my child, right? I'd hope I'd be patient and generous and try to sort it out in a productive, constructive way. I could go to my partner and say, I am exhausted and I see all those dishes in the sink. And when I see you just on your computer, I have the thought that maybe my time's not as valuable as yours in your mind. You're over here you know, taking care of you, but I haven't been able to take care of me yet. And there's still these dishes, mm -hmm. right? I'm expressing how I feel and the thought I'm thinking, right? I didn't say you're being a selfish, you know, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I feel like this. I think that. And at this point, most partners are going to look at you and go, oh, sorry. You know, mm -hmm. I just had to write this quick email to my boss or see if my boss wrote me that email or whatever. And I got distracted and I got sucked in and I just ended up doing this or that or the other thing on my computer, right? Most partners will look at you and say that and say, of course, your time is as more valuable as mine. And I see you're exhausted. And they might say, honey, I'm exhausted too. Remember, I'm the one who got up first with the baby this morning to let you sleep in a little bit. I'm right. exhausted too. And then what one of you has the wherewithal to say, hopefully, because no one's attacked anybody here, is, wow, this really sucks, doesn't it? We're both exhausted. <laughs> How about a big hug for both of us? And then what's the easiest way to get this done? Do we go to bed and leave the dishes in the sink and we do them in the morning? That You know, if you think you could now have a nice time together and you want to actually, you know, go to bed a little earlier than usual and turn off the lights, maybe have a hot shower together first and have sex. Great. Leave the dishes in the sink. That'd be amazing. If you're too exhausted to even do that and you just want to get a good night's sleep, great there too. Leave the dishes in the sink. Most of the time, that's not the good solution because then they're facing you in the morning and you go over and you do them together. Now, I might still feel like I need to say something to my partner at some point like, you know, it does feel like if I didn't say the dishes needed to be done, they would never get done. I'd love to feel like it was as important to you as it was to me. You know, I'd love to feel like it's not all on me to remember when we're running out of toilet paper or that the dishes have to be done or the laundry has to be done. And your partner might say, yeah, sorry, you're right. Um, I'll try to do a better job. I, you know, it's just not even, I don't even, I didn't grow up that way. I don't think about it, but you're right. Yeah. Um, I'll try harder. You know, I think that's very different than the partner feeling attacked because when your partner feels attacked, then they don't want to be the one to do the dishes, right? They're like, you know, um, reflexively. Defensive. Uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. All of us feel like that. When we get attacked, we're defensive. Working together and having empathy for where the other person might be in their day as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. While we have you on the line, I wanted to talk about something that I've been reading so much about, and it kind of puzzles me how you would make it work. And that is the quarantine pods that some families are making mm. with other families. Sure. Do you have any thoughts on 
how this works and you know what the logistics could be involved or what people should think about if they are you know thinking this might be an option they want to pursue yeah i actually think it's a good idea in the sense that it gives children uh playmates outside of the family especially for people with one child but also for people with more than one it eases the tension on the sibling relationship I think it's great for parents as well because then they, you know, a lot of parents are hungry for connection and it gives a way right. for them to have people they can hang with. However, I would caution you, you know, it's hard to work things out with someone you're married to even, you know, somebody you live with day in and day out. It can be hard to work things out. You're going to have missed, um, you're going to have different ideas about things at times and you're going to have people be insensitive or thoughtless about somebody else. You're going to have just different ways you think about things. You're going to have to do a lot of talking to work things out with your partner. You're going to have to be super patient and extend emotional generosity, give each other grace under when you're under pressure. So all of that's just your partner and your child. What about when it's a different family? So let's say you have a family you're thinking of being in a pod with. And, you know, you love them. They're great. You have such a great time together. It's all good. But then... You're going merrily along in your pod, and it turns out that, lo and behold, you didn't realize it, but one of the members of the other couple thinks nothing of not wearing a mask when they go out or of, you know, um, going out into situations that you think are maybe a little dicey in terms of, you know, maybe they are in close proximity to other people in a workplace or in um, a social situation that you didn't expect or... They think it's okay to go have a drink with their buddies or whatever it is that you would not choose to do in your family. So you want to know about those things before you go into the pod. So you want to brainstorm about what kinds of things would you worry about or would they worry about and come to agreements, very clear agreements. And I would even say at the risk of being thought to be stodgy, I would write the agreements down. Keep them short, keep them simple, but write it down. Just making very clear rules from the get-go so that everyone understands and is on the same page when you get started. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Well, so much wonderful advice um, and lots of things for parents to think about during this still very difficult time. Uh, Dr. Laura Markham, thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, my pleasure. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. One more thing before we go, though. Please make sure you've subscribed to our show so you don't miss any of our great episodes. And just a reminder that you can keep up with WebMD's coverage on coronavirus and all things health and wellness on our social channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hope you'll join us next time.